everyone, and welcome to Another Bite, where we rewatch the most innovative and intriguing pitches from Shark Tank. I'm Jory, and I'm joined by Ariel. Hello. And John. Woohoo! <laughs> hey, Ariel. Hey. Why did the light bulb go to school? Because it needed to get smarter. Because it wanted to get brighter. Oh! Let's lighten up the mood and brighten up the room because today in the tank, we have a product that hopes to truly shine. Will the founders leave glowing or will the sharks leave them in the dark? It's sure to be illuminating all after this brief sponsored break. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you met at a networking event. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, in the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together in one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Also, you can scale support and drive revenue and retention. Visit HubSpot.com service so you can do more with your customers today. Today in the tank, we have Poplight, and Poplight is brought to us by founders Rose and Caroline, and they're asking for $150,000 for 8% in their business, which is a approximately 1.8, lot of numbers, valuation. <laughs> Round up. $1.9 million. $1.9 million valuation. Yep, yep. Love that. We're talking about about $2 million valuation. They think they're worth $2 million. <laughs> and their product for this valuation is Poplight, which is essentially a removable wallet. So the problem that it's trying to solve for it is that when you want to create custom wall mounts, it can be extremely expensive and complicated to install because you got to rip out the wall, you got to lay down wiring. So this is a simple solution that installs in seconds. So essentially, it is a light that sticks right to the wall, almost like a command strip kind of look. I think it might just be a command strip yeah. on the back of a battery-powered sconce. <laughs> so think double-sided tape, built-in dimmable light that kind of hangs off the wall. It is USB-C rechargeable and comes with an app so you can modify the light, you know, get in the mood. So it lasts about five to nine hours. And we're currently looking at this prototype. So thinking about our pitch, our founder, our products, initial thoughts on Poplight. I love Rose and Caroline as a duo. I think they are a fantastic team. They have a good balance in terms of like their background. I think they've come up with a really great solution that's very on trend for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. But I have a few thoughts around the actual defensibility of a product like this. So a little hesitant going into this. Those sound like opinions capital O. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, there's a few things. So I think they're going into market at like $95 a cost for a direct-to-consumer product, right? They got a little bit of momentum going from like a crowdfunding kind of campaign that they did. They only sold 178000 So I think for me, it's very early on to prove that this is a long-term repeat purchase. Mm. I'm worried that they're a little bit limited by focusing just on D2C. I think there's a ton of opportunity in markets like residential halls where they're worried about like getting paint on the walls, apartment complexes, that is a market that they could lean into. And the fact that there's just one skew, it's a very easy to challenge and market with a lot of competition. There's nothing really unique about the design. Mm. So I think they're going to have a lot of challenges in the long term. Yeah. You make a lot of great points. I would just say like, this is a very good product to me. Mm -hmm. Number one, I just cannot believe actually how good command strips are. Mm -hmm. You can get command strips that can hold up like 50 pounds now. It's unbelievable. And then you can just like peel them off your wall. It doesn't take the paint off. True. I cannot believe the amount of innovation that has happened in the adhesive industry. It's absolutely extraordinary. <laughs> and so 
I think they've built a really good product. They have an actually incredible adhesive on it. They built mm-hmm. a level into it so that when you're hanging it, you don't have to like measure and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's got this like swiveling click technology that makes it easy to take it on and off. And they happen to look like really, really, really good. The thing I think that Ariel is kind of bringing up is like, we have no idea if this is going to be a good business at all. Right. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we don't know if this is going to be a good business is they may have found a gap in the market, but is it a defensible gap? Number two is they've done a Kickstarter, mm-hmm. which is awesome, but they haven't sold anything. And so it's fine for entrepreneurs to come on Shark Tank and ask for money for basically a pre-market product, but they have to then value it the right way and they have to set it up in a way that is going to be attractive for the sharks. And, you know, asking for a $2 million valuation, I think they're a little ambitious. It seems like both of you have this issue with it's like really soon, it's a new product, there isn't that momentum. What would be the strategies that they should really lean into to really create the momentum that you would need in order to invest in a company like this? They mentioned that they're going viral on TikTok. So there's some kind of social proof there. Mm -hmm. What is missing from their marketing strategy right now that you think that they have opportunities to like really tap into? So they've got a bit of a margin problem right now. And the reason they have a margin problem is because they're Mm pre-production. They're like, okay, we're going to do a limited run of these things. It's going to cost 25 bucks per unit to build. And so they don't have a lot of money to actually spend on marketing, even at a $95 price point. I don't think they can actually afford to go into a wholesale path Mm -hmm. right now because I think it would take too much of their margin off. Mm -hmm. And so I think they're going to have to get very scrappy, you know, being very targeted on who it's for and going organic routes to try and get there. And I think they can build momentum that way. It seems like it's already happening on TikTok. So I feel like I would just continue to lean into that. Such a good point. Look at things like micro-influencers, really tiny influencer spaces that can showcase videos to a very engaged audience could also be a really great way for them to lean into something without having to spend too much money. Yeah. This is a visual product too. And it's important to keep in mind, the majority of social media organic content right now is oriented around visual Mm -hmm. content versus text content. Mm -hmm. I think that's a real advantage for them versus other products. They can actually do short form video of putting these up. You know, they can actually show the product and they look beautiful. And so I think they've got some advantages they should lean into there. I also think they could play around with pricing too. I know they have really great margins. What did they say? Like 68% margins, but they're retailing them at $95. I think they need to raise their prices. I don't think their margin is enough. If if they want to go D to C or wholesale, it's going to be super expensive because wholesale will chip away a big chunk of their margin. And D to C is going to have to require advertising. And that's going to just cost a lot of money too. I don't know what the price elasticity is on a product like this on $80 versus $95 versus $120. Mm -hmm. And so like, why not raise the price to 120, buy yourself some more margin and do a lot more aggressive advertising. But don't you think raising the price could potentially almost price themselves out of who they're actually targeting? To me, 120 bucks doesn't sound that different from 100 bucks. Maybe you have to be under 100 bucks. I don't know. 99.99. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's my only concern. A lot of like the competition markets at a significantly lower price point. So I think that's going to be a little bit of a challenge. So they also mentioned that they just launched a website. Most of their revenue has come from this Kickstarter campaign. And then they are starting to generate some revenue from their website. As marketers, I have to ask, what are some pitfalls that you'd recommend they avoid? And how do you make a good website in today's market? Yeah, I have a few thoughts going on their website. Obviously, with Hoplite, it's a unique enough name that it's Mm -hmm. still ranking in the top domain searches for Google. So it's great that they're able to kind of be able to get that space without competing with other competitors that are competing for the same keywords or similar named products. So when you land on the site, it kind of lands on this like product-esque 
page, which there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with driving users directly to a product page for a point of sale, but there's kind of a lot going on in terms of information. So I think there's a few things that they can do to really tighten up the user experience. One is taking a look at color theory. So if they're going to lean into this bright, vibrant orange for their brand colors, a really great way is to either have contrast or complementary colors within your color wheel. Because right now it is very heavy text overload, a little bit like in your face. Mm -hmm. I love that they have the breakout though of how easy it is to utilize. I think it's really helpful to see. That's the best part. Yes. They need to have a homepage. Mm -hmm. I think they could probably benefit from just having a dedicated landing page. If this is Poplite, here's how easy it is to plug in. And here are some of the reviews that we have and some of the great products in a separate product space. But don't know, Jory, John, do you guys have any thoughts? Well, my first thought is when you first visit the website, you might think that the name of the company is Pop-Up. Oh, yeah. Not (laughs) Poplite. I got three pop-ups right away on the website. I got a 10% off your order pop-up that I have to close out of. I got a join the email list pop-up. And I also got a chat offer to help me Mm pop-up. All of which, by the way, are very smart things to do. I think we just have too many going at once and you Mm -hmm. should test around, which is going to work. It's not that I'm opposed to those things. I think they're good to do. Just there's too many at once. A couple other observations I have here is like, number one, I think that cleaner websites tend to convert better. Mm -hmm. For a product that is so beautiful looking, Mm -hmm. I don't think the photographs actually show off the quality of product. I'm looking for more more like an Apple-esque, minimalist, Mm -hmm. just showing how great the products look as opposed to like putting it in a space and stuff like that. My third thought for them is that I think this website doesn't rely on established design patterns. Mm -hmm. There's just a bunch of things I think you could do to make this a more navigable website. I worry that people would come to this website, have interest in it, and be overwhelmed and just not taken down a purchase path. And I think that's what I would obsess about. Yeah, and I think what's lacking here is sort of like a cohesive visual brand identity. Like, I think it's too many things all at once, too many colors. And I think leaning into, as you said, Ariel, one or two key brand colors and then simplifying in terms of conversion rate optimization, totally agree with you, John. Simplifying each page to like three to five takeaways max. Yeah. And the one thing too with the pop-ups as well is what is it that you're asking your customer Mm -hmm. for? Because of those three (laughs) pop-ups, I got one for my phone number, for an email address, and then one for a chatbot. Again, all of these are really great tools to utilize. If you're trying to streamline the user experience and gather information so you can engage with these folks later in time, it is very overwhelming in the first 10 second scroll to get three different things that you're being asked of instead of just one consistent thing throughout like your user journey. Mm-hmm. But going back to our Shark Tank episode, the sharks were actually pretty interested in this product. So it's a good product. It's good product. Mm-hmm. They had some good feelings about it, even though it's just starting off. So we actually had two sharks kind of jump in, both with a royalty deal. Obviously, one is Kevin. Surprise shocker, one was Barbara. So Barbara comes in and is like 150K with no equity, but $20 royalty into perpetuity. She's going in for the kill this season. Very sharky, very sharky blood in the water. That was to compare with Kevin's, I feel like, more reasonable offer, $150,000 for 8%, and then a $2 royalty until he got $500K back, and then a royalty that drops to a dollar into perpetuity. So you can always count on Kevin to do the most mathematically complex offer <laughs> of all the Which sharks. you definitely want as an entrepreneur because you don't want something simple that is just like, for the rest of your product's Fair. life, you're going to pay me this. Right. Even mm-hmm. if it seems more complicated, something that ratchets down over time, which is what his does. 
And for $2, when you're charging $95, it's a smaller drop in the bucket compared to his other royalty. That's true. The problem with Barbara's royalty is it takes 30% of their gross margin. So it's like, oh no, the margin you're going to have available to spend on sales and marketing and then like G&A and expenses and mm -hmm. salaries and all those things under Barbara's deal just gets totally crushed where yeah. Kevin is 3% of their gross margin at his royalty structure, which is just like, to your point, it's not going to be too damaging. It'll still allow them to invest in the business. Especially when, when they were discussing it, they were willing to go up to at least $12 in royalties. So unsurprisingly, the two founders actually take Kevin's original offer and closed a Shark Tank deal with Kevin. This was a new episode, though, and there has already been some initial success from this business since it's aired. So the night the episode premiered, they already reported that they had a 2,000% increase in web traffic. Wow. So definitely got that Shark Tank bump it's a really good product. I think they're going to sell a bunch of these. I think they have a great window. And I hope that they just stay focused and don't try and do too much. And I think that the popularity on Shark Tank plus Kevin pushing them is going to go a long way. And I think there's a real niche in the market here. I'm excited. We're going to see them start to appear behind John just one by one. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> just pop lights. <laughs> I actually have many battery-powered lights in my home in different places. Yeah, He's the audience. <laughs> He's the audience. Why not? John's the persona. Yeah. Production for today's episode was brought to you by Ari Desarmo. Editing comes from Robert Hartwig and support from Alfred Schultz. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, or wherever you subscribe to the greatest podcasts ever. That does it for me. See you next week in the tank for another bite. Create Like the Greats, hosted by Ross Simmons, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Each episode hosts an in-depth analysis of some of the greatest creations and creators of all time, along with deep dive conversations on the creative process that went into building companies and brands. If you like learning about history or learning about the creative process, you'll like this podcast. Listen to Create Like the Greats wherever you get your podcasts.